In the name of the God of creation, who loves us all, amen. Good morning, and welcome to the Cathedral of St. Philip on this fourth Sunday in Easter. Well, the texts for today are full of rich images of green pastures, sheep and their shepherds, and deep, still waters. Lovely scenes from God's creation. They're comforting images for the most part, aren't they? Indeed, this past week we observed the feast day of John Muir and Hudson Stock, both now listed in Holy Women, Holy Men. Hudson Stock, in particular, was an Episcopal priest and a mountain climber, an explorer, person after my own heart, and was the first to ascend Denali, or Mount McKinley, in 1913. He later wrote of the experience as a privileged communion to be received in awe and wonder. And many of us who spend time in nature can certainly understand that. Over time, this sense of God's creation and my wonder in it has certainly deepened for me. And both the psalm for today and Today's gospel text have as their context the deep and abiding gift that is our natural world. I am so grateful for God's creation. And we're called, aren't we, after all, to be good stewards of creation, shepherds, if you will, in relation to that which God has given us. We recall that sheepfolds, for example, which form the context for this section of John's Gospel, were located just inside or barely outside the village. And each evening, all the sheep of the village would be led into the common area for safety, and the shepherds would take their turns guarding the gate. When night fell and all was quiet and secure, the shepherd would lie down to rest at the opening of the sheepfold, becoming, as it were, the human gate for the sheep. Getting to the sheep, therefore, required getting over or past the shepherd. Well, for all of its limitations, and there are some, the metaphor of the good shepherd works in this way. For like the shepherd, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, godparents, teachers, mentors, priests, friends, professors, have all tended us too, haven't they? Indeed, the word tend comes from the same Latin root, attendere, that gives us the word attend, and it means to tend or pay attention, to care for, to minister, to stretch out. So I invite you to think for a moment of those along the way who have stretched out for you and for me. We all have such persons in our lives, don't we? 
They've loved and taught and led and comforted and mentored us. They've tended to us by paying attention to us. And in so doing, they tell us that we matter. They've sought to prepare us for life. They've demonstrated what one of my teachers, Carl Jung, would call maternal or feminine archetypes, though not all of them have been our biological mothers. In fact, not all of them have been women. But all of them have provided for us what my colleagues in clinical work call a holding environment out of which the divine spark God has given each one of us can flourish. We can find the language of the holding environment in our creation collect for Thursday of this past week, the feast day of Muir and Stuck. It reads, We offer thanks to the creator of the earth and all that inhabits it for thy prophets John Muir and Hudson Stuck who rejoiced in your beauty made known in the natural world. The reading calls upon us all to be inspired by their love of creation so that we may be wise and faithful stewards or shepherds of the world God has created that generations to come may also lie down to rest among the pines and rise refreshed their work. Good shepherds, faithful stewards indeed. And in this safe context of the holding environment, not unlike a sheepfold, we internalize this care in such a way as to make it a part of our story. John Muir famously said, I only went out for a walk and finally I concluded to stay out until sundown, for going out, I found, was really going in. The same might be said of our commitment to this beloved cathedral community. In this context of care, we discover, as Gerard Manley Hopkins said, our true voice our true calling, acting in God's eye, who in God's eye we are. This is a lifelong journey, isn't it? And in a way, we share it with the people of Israel, who, after all, struggled for a home. They were always trying to get into, hold on to, or get back in. They struggled for peace, for food, for faith in God. And in the 23rd Psalm, It was cherished for the Hebrews precisely because of the highs and lows of Israel's history. Their insatiable thirst on their long journey and their frequent rush down more manageable paths towards more manageable gods, which always led them into unmanageable trouble and the lamentation that came with it. Then they would return to worship and the story, the narrative of their true calling as a people, and it would be told over and over again. In a sense, then, context is everything in relation to both the 23rd Psalm and 
today's gospel text. Well, many of us have no trouble finding green pastures. The problem is that sometimes the next pasture over seems so much greener, and we're scared of missing it. It isn't surprising, really, is it, that so many of the Psalms describe the disruptive experience of being lost and found, judged and forgiven, sent away, and then brought back. This is all part of the pathos of a people who got scared and lost their way, and the high drama of a God who always, always searches to find the lost sheep. And we get so scared, we humans, don't we, when we're afraid that there will not be enough, even when we aren't quite sure what enough would look like or what it is we're afraid we won't have enough of. Each of us has been scared. Maybe it took the form of an illness, a call from the doctor about an unexpected diagnosis, a plummeting stock market, or a call from the police late at night. Maybe it was a letter on the kitchen counter that said, I'm not coming back. Or a pink slip one Friday afternoon, the shadow of the valley. Like the Good Friday losses of our lives, these can take infinite forms, can't they? I bear witness to these in my clinical work and in my own life, just as you have in yours. In his book, The Second Mountain, The Quest for a Moral Life, the author David Brooks says that he's observed two kinds of response to these losses. David Brooks writes, Life had thrown them into the valley as it throws most of us into the valley at one point or another. They were suffering and adrift, and some people are broken by this kind of pain and grief. They seem to get smaller and more afraid, and they never recover. They get angry, resentful, and tribal. But other people are broken open. The theologian Paul Tillich wrote that suffering upends the normal patterns of life and reminds us that we are not who we thought we were. The basement of your soul is much deeper than you knew. Some people look into the hidden depths of themselves and they realize that success won't fill those spaces. Only a spiritual life and unconditional love from family and friends and community will do. They realize how lucky they are. They are down in the valley, but they're about to be dragged on an adventure that will leave them transformed. This, dear ones, is our journey from Good Friday to Easter. In the Gospel for today, we have a description not only of how Jesus relates to us, but how we are called to relate to one another, and in so doing, we become transformed. Jesus says, I've come to the sheep that they might have life and have it abundantly. We're called to abide with one another as Jesus abides with us. 
And this is how those who cared for us remain part of us. We hold their voices inside us and remember that we have been seen, that others have stretched out for us. The shepherd could lead because the sheep could hear the shepherd's voice and see the shepherd moving steadily ahead of them, and they trusted him. Ultimately, of course, we're all called to be shepherds by virtue of our baptismal covenant, all called to create together a safe sheepfold within which we are nurtured and sustained and nourished. Our own beloved cathedral community seeks to be such a place of grace and hospitality, and thanks be to God for that. It has been such a gift and such a joy to serve here among you for these many years. Well, this semester, one of my seminary classes covered topics such as addiction and mental illness, psychology and religion, family systems theory. Through each module, an abiding image was that of the pastoral caregiver as a kind of shepherd, staying in relationship with transcendence of self in commitment to the common good. We've studied and learned together this semester in order to remember that it's more important to be in right relationship than it is to be right. And we can love completely without complete understanding. As Richard Rohr reminds us, unless and until Christ is experienced as a living relationship between people, the gospel remains largely an abstraction. Until Christ is passed on personally through faithfulness and forgiveness, through concrete bounds of union, Rohr doubts whether Christ is passed on by words or sermons, institutions or ideas. And so, my sisters and brothers, in this Eastertide season, we're called to discern, each in our own way, our quotidian daily lives, what resurrection means to us and how we might practice resurrection. And I do believe this involves some transcendence of self and the joy that comes from giving ourselves away in love in the context of beloved communities just like this one. In one of my favorite of his songs, the singer-songwriter Van Morrison sings, Mama told me there'd be days like this. Upon hearing only the title of this song, we might rightly be tempted to anticipate lyrics of lamentation, a litany of hard times. Instead, the song paradoxically is about those days when against all odds, we're surprised by joy, which is after all our Easter narrative. Morrison sings, when it's not always raining, there'll be days like this. When there's no one complaining, there'll be days like this. When everything falls into place like the flick of a switch, well, my mama told me 
there'll be days like this. And so in this Eastertide season, we might take a cue from Mr. Morrison and using our theological imagination add to his verses. And we have so many good reasons to do so. When the tomb turns up empty, there'll be days like this. When we fear no evil, there'll be days like this. When my soul is revived, when my cup runneth over, my mama told me there'll be days like this. When the shepherd takes care of us, there'll be days like this. When we care for God's creation, there'll be days like this. When we love one another, there'll be days like this. When goodbye is Godspeed and love abides, Jesus told us there'll be days like this. And so, dear ones, bearing witness, stretching out, attending, feeding, sustaining, healing, guiding, letting our voices guide those in need and who are suffering. These are the tasks to which we have been called as shepherds in this beloved community. We're children of God, made in God's image, growing as we move on in faith, and we do not know what wonders God has in store for us. But we do know how to listen, how to pay attention, how to give ourselves away in love. What do I risk to tell you this, Mary Oliver says, which is all that I know. Love yourself, then forget it, and then love the world. As our collect for today says, O God, whose Son Jesus is the Good Shepherd of your people, the one who calls us by name, grant that when we hear God's voice and follow where God's lead, with you and the Holy Spirit, we may know the one who calls us each by name. The Holy Spirit who lives and reigns one God forever and ever. When God calls us and we follow, there'll be days like this. Blessings and amen.